King of kings and Lord of lords, we are so thankful to be together this morning. Lord, we we praise you for you are holy, righteous, and good. We thank you that you would die for us, Jesus, and rise for us. Lord, as we look at your word now, Holy Spirit, I would ask that you would be so kind to us to open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to believe. Lord, for those who are here who who already know you, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take this text and you would make us look more like Jesus. For those who may be here who do not know you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that they would cry out to you. And Holy Spirit, I do ask that you would help me. That you would guide me, give, give me clarity of thought and speech. That I may speak truth to your people, to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Esther chapter 7. Let me give you some background quickly before we jump into the text. You will remember, of course, that God's people, they are not, many of them, living where they should be living. There was the Babylonian captivity where the Babylonians came and they took away God's people because God's people continually disobeyed the Lord their God. And so he brought in the Babylonians to come and discipline them and take them away. But after some time, of course, as you know, there was a a change in hands, a change in power. The Lord raised up another nation to judge the Babylonians. He raised up the Persians, and they came in and took over. And in the heart of a pagan king, our Lord worked in such a way that He said, you know what? These people need to go back to their land. They need to go back and build their temple. They need to worship their God. And so He told everybody, go ahead and give gold, jewels, whatever it is, to make sure that these people can go back to where they belong and they can worship because of God's favor on His people. But did everyone listen? No. As far as we know, about 50,000 actually went back and the rest remained away from Jerusalem, away from the promised land. And they continued to live in the culture and look like everybody else, dress like everybody else, talk like everybody else, for the most part. And we had a, another king come along, King Xerxes or Ahasuerus, and that's where the book of Esther picks up about a hundred years after the fall of the temple. So we looked at chapter 1 and we saw how the, the author, of course, the Holy Spirit, but again, we don't know the human author, but we saw chapter 1 starts to build up Ahasuerus as this, oh, this great king He's so powerful. Look at all of his glory, all of his splendor. But by verse 9, we saw that Queen Vashti does not obey her husband. And it goes downhill from there. We see the the Lord working in many ways. We see part of that is that the king and others who have been drinking decide to make a law. Is that a good law? Is it a good good idea? We're going to make a law. Ladies, you know this. It's good. We're thinking about doing it again. (laughs) That in our homes, 
you will obey everything we say, and you will not speak unless you're spoken to. That's what happens when you get a bunch of boneheads who are drunk, making laws. But don't forget the Lord is working. There are three things that I said, they all start with P, that this book shows us. There's many other things, but at least three things that this book shows us. For those who know or have a bulletin, what are those three things? Providence, purpose, and the parallel of pride. We've seen the providence of God working. Chapter 2, we then see that the, the, the king, he decides, you know, we're going to go and we're going to try to take on the Greeks. That doesn't go well for him. Then he's kind of sad. And he says, you know what, I really miss Vashti, but because the law had been put in place, she could not return to be queen. So he's sad. So the young men say, hey, we've got a great idea. Let's go ahead and get all the young virgins. Let's bring them in, and they can all have one night with the king, and that's how he can choose his queen. Of course, that's terrible, but in a terrible situation, God still works in a mighty way. And we see that Vashti was removed so that Esther could come. We saw at the end of that chapter that Mordecai had discovered a plot where they were going to assassinate the king. Then some time passes, and of, of course we thought Mordecai was going to be rewarded for what he had done. And then chapter 3 says, nope, it's actually another guy named Haman. And this little issue between Mordecai and Haman turns into a very big issue. Where Haman now, who is second in command, says, I'm going to destroy all the Jewish people. And he casts lots. And we see that the, the date is set far off because the Lord is working. Who decides, congregation, who decides how the dice land? God does. But he still goes to the king, and the king gives his signet ring. He gives his signature, his approval to do whatever he wants. He doesn't even know what the, the people are that he wants to kill. He doesn't even know. The king's like, yeah, whatever. Do what you got to do. I'm going to get rich off this? Good. Let's go with it. We saw in chapter 4 then that Mordecai learned about this and he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and he's crying out, but again, there still has not been any mention of God or prayer. There's fasting and weeping, lamenting by God's people all around, but still not mentioning God. And that's the, the strange thing about this book. Is God is everywhere. But He's not mentioned. And we said that the end of chapter 4 seemed to be a real big shift. Mordecai, of course, says that the famous line about Esther, she's at, at this place for such a time as this. And we talked about how God has us in our place right now for such a time as this. And he doesn't realize, but when he says that deliverance will rise up from somewhere else if Esther will not help, that is because God is faithful even when we are faithless. Amen? Amen. But then Esther starts to order Mordecai and everybody else. This passive woman is now starting to order and say, get everybody to fast and pray in Susa because I'm going to go to the king. And that was chapter 5. Chapter 5 and 6 where Esther goes and she goes before the queen. But now she's been, or before the king, and now she's been fasting and praying and she has cried out to her God. And we, when we humble ourselves before God, it catches his gaze. And she goes, and now she has great wisdom, it seems, and she risks her life, and so she goes into the court where, again, that could be punishable by death if he doesn't hold out the scepter to you. But immediately we see in the chapter that as soon as she steps in, he holds out the scepter because God's favor was on her. 
And then she goes and, she, and he says, what's your request? What are you risking your life for here? And of course, she jumps right in and says, so you would save my people. She doesn't. She says, I want to serve you chicken wings. I want to have a feast. I want you to come. Why don't you bring Haman? All right. He asks her again, and she still says, you know what my request is? Now that you've had food, you've had a little bit of wine, I have a great request for you. And she still doesn't say, save my people. She says, come back tomorrow. And ladies, this is insight into a man's heart. But truthfully, God's timing is perfect. And she had gone to her Lord and she knew what she needed to do. She was being led by him, I believe, here. And so they go home that night and Haman goes home and he's joyful and glad until he steps outside the gate and then he sees Mordecai. Everything's great in this guy's life except this one guy will not worship me like he should. He will not respect me. And so his life is terrible. He calls his wife. He calls all of his friends. He, has to, he needs to get that affirmation from other people. And we talked about how if we live for the love of others, the love of man or fear of man, you will never be happy. Your identity has to be in God. He doesn't have that. So he calls everyone, hey, look, please tell me how great I am. Let me tell you how great I am. And they say, you know, we've got a great plan. If this guy's giving you trouble, hang him. Put him on a stake. Seven and a half stories high. Just put him up there. And he goes, huh, good idea. Instead of having friends and family who would speak truth into his life, they just feed that idol of self. So then we saw chapter 6, which was outstanding. That night, it just so happened that the king could not sleep. And he gave orders, and he said, you know what? When I can't sleep, I just want to hear history. Come bring the history books to me. And they read, and they happen to read the part about Mordecai and how he saved the king. He goes, huh, that's interesting. Whatever happened with that Mordecai? Did we ever give him honor? No, nothing happened. Oh, that's not good. Hey, who's outside right now? Oh, Haman's coming up again in the providence of God. Haman's coming forward and he says, oh, come on up. Haman, what should I do? What, what should the king do when somebody does something remarkable? What should the king do? And Haman goes, oh, he's talking about me. <laughs> what should he do? Ooh, I want to be, I want to be like the king. Oh, you should, you should give him the king's clothes that he's worn and put on the king's horse and, and, he, and somebody, somebody of high, high position should walk him around and say how great he is. He goes, yeah, let's do that. That's a good plan. Do that with Mordecai. <laughs> I love that picture. He has to dress Mordecai and walk him around. Oh, he's so great. The king has favor on this guy. This had to destroy Haman. Afterwards, they return to the king's gate, but Haman goes, ah, I'm feeling so down. I've got to go back home. I've got to get my friends. I need some encouragement. I need, I need people to feed myself idol here. And they said to him, oh, the wife in particular, who's not supposed to be really speaking much here, she says, oh, this guy's one of the Jews. You're done. Encouragement. That picks us up where we are. We're going to actually read verse 14 of chapter 6 and then into chapter 7. Follow along with me silently as I read the text. Esther 6, starting in 14, while they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. So the king and Haman went into the feast with Queen Esther, and on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, what is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request, even up to half of my kingdom? It shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, 
And if it pleased the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent. For our affliction is not to be compared with the loss of the king. Then King Ashwar said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he? Who has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe, an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. Verse 7. And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine. As Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was, and the king said, Will he even assault the queen in my presence in my own house? As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs in attendance on the king, said, Moreover, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing at Haman's house 50 50 cubits high. And the king said, Hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. Wow. He runs home. This Haman runs home. He's talking. He's trying to get everyone's attention. Oh, no, I need help. Someone feed my idol of self here. And they say, oh, it's not going to go well for you. Verse 7, or chapter 7, verse 1, let's start there. So the king and Haman went to the, into the feast with Queen Esther. So the story's moving along. They're now back at the second feast that she puts on. Verse 2, and on the second day as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, he knows, this is three times. He's going to ask a third time now. You've fed him now twice, but you're not going to risk your life just to give pizza or chicken wings. That's not the point. He knows that. What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even up to half of my kingdom. It shall be fulfilled. Now's the time. Now she knows is the time. God's timing is perfect. She has been fasting. She's been praying. She is going along. The Lord is leading her, and now's the time. What's going to happen? Verse 3, Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king. Has she found favor in his sight? Yes. But notice she still has to say it. I mean, you've got to butter this guy up, Right? He was known, if you read historians, this guy, he could love you one day and kill you the next. O king, and and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. He has not put the, connected the dots yet. He doesn't know who she is. He apparently does not know really her ethnicity. He doesn't even know what's going on here. He doesn't remember, of course, or he doesn't pay attention enough, but he doesn't know. He's like, whoa. This is, my, this is my queen. What is going on here? Listen to but She doesn't stop there because here's the thing. Listen carefully. Who okayed the killing of her people? The king did. This is, he's got, she's got to be careful. She has to be wise with what she says. Again, asking for wisdom from above. For we have been sold... I and my people to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. The king's like, what? Someone sold my queen? 
Oh no, not going to happen. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss of the king. If it was just slavery, I wouldn't say anything. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, oh, here we go. Who is he? Can you imagine? Look at Haman right now. I think he's starting to go, oh, darn. (laughs) This day just keeps getting worse and worse. Realize, though, Haman didn't know. There's nothing in the text that says that he knew specifically that Esther was a Jew. Nothing in the text specifically says that. But you know, as she's saying this, (laughs) he knows. Who is he? And where is he? Who has dared to do this? And Esther said, look what she says right away. Look how she, a foe, an enemy. He's a foe, king. This person, a foe, an enemy. Right away, the blame is going somewhere else, away from the king. This wicked Haman. (laughs) Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. You think? There's like three people at this feast. You ever been in a conversation with three people and you have to say something bad about that person to that person? There's nowhere else to look. It's just kind of awkward. Wicked foe, Haman. Ah. <laughs> uh. Verse 7, And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from the queen, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. He goes off. What are you going to do? Chase after the king? Probably not in that situation. Going to stay. Remember how often, think about throughout the text, the king, he's always been told by other people what to do. Remember? He was always influenced. So he's thinking, ah, I got to beg Esther. He stays to beg for his life. Now the king goes off. Now think about this. The king goes off. Now is it really a big deal to him that he has to kill Haman? I don't think so. Or do something with Haman? I don't think so. The problem is, again, once she uses that phrasing, I think he does realize, oh man, I'm the one who okayed this thing. How does he save face in this situation? If you kill him for the fact that he's going to kill all the Jews, but you gave him your signet ring, what are you going to do? He's going off. I think he's thinking some, obviously angry. Can't believe, again, his wife, whom he has, he has favor on, is going to be killed. Someone would do this. Haman would trick him that way. Verse 8, and the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine. At the exact perfect timing. How many of you believe in coincidence? You better not raise your hand. <laughs> not if you, unless it's your first time. If it's your first time, you're allowed to raise your hand, but after this service, you can't raise your hand anymore. There is no such thing. There is the providence of God working, and just as he comes back in, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was, and look what the king thinks. Oh, she, he's begging for his life. Nah, that's not what he's thinking. Will he even assault? And there could be some type of even, you know, hurting her or even a sexual uh, aspect here to this. Assault the queen in my presence in my own house. See, even if somebody was a, a, alone in that room, he should have stayed seven steps away from her. That was the law. He's over next to her onto the couch, begging for his life. He comes in and says, oh, look what we have here. And as soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Haman's going to die for that. King doesn't even have to worry about anything now. He's going to kill him for that. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs, these guys, isn't it funny how they just pop in the story at the right time? 
Remember we talked about purpose? That seems to be their purpose. Just come in, remind the king of things, say things, do things. Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs in attendance on the king said, moreover, I got another one for you, king. He's trying to get your woman. He wants to kill everybody, but listen, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king. I love he puts that in there. Mordecai, who he wants to kill, who saved you. Those gallows, they're standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, hmm, hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. Three things I want to share with you. Number one, we see Haman's life. We see the peril of pride. Haman has been just so prideful and he has built his life around other people respecting, honoring him. That is his idol. That's what he has built his life around. I promise you this. If you build your life around anything else, Anyone else other than Christ, whatever you build your life around, will take you down. You will fall just like Haman. Our lives have to be built around Christ. He has to be the rock. Anything else you build, as Jesus talks about Matthew 7, it's just going to get swept away and destroyed. It has to be Christ. He has fallen. In Proverbs 26, 27, it actually kind of talks about if, you, if you're the one who digs the pit, you're going to fall into it. And if you try to push the rock up a hill, it's going to come right back over you and destroy you. And that's what's happened to Haman. Brothers and sisters, make sure you are not building on anything else other than Christ. Second thing that really stood out. We talked about how Jesus is a better king than Ahasuerus. Look at this situation. The king here, Ahasuerus, is angry. He has wrath. He's angry towards the situation. He's actually angry. He's thinking that Haman wanted to kill his wife. Haman didn't know, actually, that she was Jewish. Then he thinks that Haman's trying to hurt her in that situation or possibly sexually hurt her. He wasn't doing that either. The king's knowledge is not perfect. Guess what about Jesus' knowledge, though? It's perfect. But make no mistake, watch this. Haman ends up being put on the gallows, on a stick, on wood, driven through him in the place of Mordecai. It was going to be Mordecai, but it's Haman. Now, how many of you think Haman deserved to die right here? How many? Show of hands. How many of you think you didn't deserve to die? How many of you don't want to raise your hands because you're not sure? <laughs> He's, we've seen him throughout the story. What we like about the way this thing goes is when he gets put on that stake, we say justice. Yeah, even though it wasn't for those exact things, we say, yes, that's how it should be because there's something about us made in the image of God that there is something that we want justice but we also need mercy. We need mercy. You see, the truth of the matter is we should be put on a stake. We should be put on a cross for the wrongs that we have done, the injustice in our hearts. And right now, it's not very difficult to look around and see injustice everywhere. 
And all that comes from is the fact that we are sinful people with a sinful nature. And that's what is happening all around us. But when we see things that are right, we say, yes, that's good. What's right and good for all of us is that we would be put on a cross. Haman does not get mercy here. No mercy for Haman. And some of us are like, yeah, he shouldn't get any mercy. Put him on that stake. But brothers and sisters, realize that if we are Haman for the wrongs that we have done, we want mercy. Do you want mercy? That's why the cross is beautiful. The cross is so beautiful because it is the the justice and holiness of God and the love and mercy of God at the same time. And why Jesus is so much better is look at what this king does. This king says, put that guy up there. He's killed. And then this king's wrath is abated. But with Jesus, he's our king and he goes up on the cross for us. He goes instead. So it's like Haman would be like a Hashuar saying, oh wait, I'm going to die for him. (laughs) That ain't happening. But what our Jesus does is he dies for us. We should be up there and he steps down and goes to the cross for us. And realize this, brothers and sisters, that when the wrath of God is poured out on Christ, God's wrath towards you is abated. It's taken away and so it leads to the final thing. Do you remember when Esther had to go into the king? She has to butter him up. She has to try to manipulate him. She has to say the right thing. She can't mess up or she may be dead. You don't have to do that. You don't have to butter Jesus up. You don't have to butter God up. He has set His love on you. He has given you mercy. And so here's what He says. Go ahead and come to My throne my throne of grace, and you will find help because of Jesus' death in your place and His resurrection. You are able to go to the throne of grace. Amen?